Uh, does someone else want to preach this morning's message? Uh, before we get into it, we have two kind of family announcements. Uh, the first is uh, baptism. Uh, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, baptism is kind of that mark of what has occurred internally in our lives. Uh, when God has rescued us and made us his sons and daughters, we've proclaimed faith in him. And, and then he says, man, be marked with the family name, be baptized, be dunked in water to say you died with him and you've now risen to newness of life with him. Uh, so if that's you and you've not been baptized, I, I'd ask you to follow Jesus' command and get baptized. Uh, maybe you've been a believer for a long time and you've just never been baptized. This would be a good time to investigate that. Uh, maybe your faith is kind of coming to new life. Uh, since your time at the well, you've been really growing in your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, this might be a time to really investigate. Is this the time to be baptized? Or maybe you're a new believer. You're trusting in Christ. And, and, and I say, man, follow him now. Get dunked in the water and proclaim uh, he's your savior. Uh, this might be the time. So uh, if you're interested in getting baptized, uh, I'll meet with you and some others will meet with you um, and kind of help you through that process of discernment. Uh, so please just email info at thewellsoverspring.org, and we'll get in touch with you. All right, please e in, uh, email info at thewellsoverspring.org, and we'll get in touch with you. That's on the front page uh, of our webpage. The second bit of family news is this. Um, we've been praying, Lord, would you give us a permanent space here in Silver Spring uh, that for generations we could uh, proclaim the gospel and see this area blessed with the good news of Jesus. And, and in an overflow of all God's given us, could we just bless the people in the place of Silver Spring and the surrounding areas. For generations, Lord, we want to do it. And there's one really amazing opportunity right now. Just really amazing. I've been sharing with you guys uh, for the past uh, few months now. And so in the next couple of weeks, we will kind of have clarity on this one possibility. And it looks like a possibility where we could really help uh, another faithful church uh, in this area begin to really flourish and, and have continuity uh, in their space and in their place here to keep ministering the gospel in Silver Spring. And it could also be a way that we ourselves could find permanent space here uh, to plant churches and bless this area for generations to come. I mean, it's kind of one of those like God things. You look at it and you're like, we could never have imagined this. And it might be what he has for us. And what he has for this other, other congregation for their life and flourishing as well. Uh, so I'm just going to ask us to pray boldly here for a minute or two, just on our own, out loud, all at once. Lord, would you do this for your purposes? Uh, we'll have some clarity in the next couple weeks if this is his plan. So let's pray boldly and ask him, uh, and also submissively trusting him uh, with, with whatever plans he has. So let's talk to him now, out loud, all at once. Uh, he will sort out our prayers. Let's pray together now. God, we've been asking you now for years. If this is your plan, we pray, Father, you would do it. 
for the flourishing of this other congregation that's been faithfully living here for decades for you, Christ, and, and for our own permanent space and flourishing. God, if this is your plan, would you do it for your purposes? God, we just ask you would do it. It seems so right, Father. It seems like you are doing this thing. And at the same time, God, we just trust you. We just trust you. We know who you are. We know how sovereign you are, how good you are, how perfect your plans are. So whatever they are, Father, we accept them. And we just ask, God, we ask you to do it for your purposes, for generations to come. That this congregation and us, we would just flourish serving you in Silver Spring and the surrounding areas. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to read you the part of this passage that we're going to focus on this morning because uh, I want to be able to say, God said that I didn't. You can think about this question as we read this section. Why would Peter and God, the ultimate author of his scriptures, command this? How on earth could he command this? We're in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. That's where we'll focus our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've provided Bibles for you. You can snag one of those and just keep it for yourselves there at the ends of the pews. And please do bring uh, your Bibles on Sunday and a journal even to write what might the Lord be saying to you as we come before him in his word. Verse 18 of chapter 2 in 1 Peter. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why, how could, would Peter, God, command this? I was just going to look at five reasons. We'll go through them to answer the question, how could Peter, God, command this? Why would Peter, God, command this? Uh, the first is uh, not because slavery was so different in first century Rome or Greece or in the Jewish context to which Peter is writing, Jews and Gentiles, and in now modern-day Turkey. Let's hear that again. Uh, it, Peter does not command this. God does not command this because uh, slavery or servanthood is so different in first century that it's more palatable to God or people, that God would then say, oh, I'll command you this because that kind of slavery or servanthood is so different than the kind of slavery or servanthood we know here in America. That's, that's not the reason why God or Peter commands this. Uh, see, this is what we often try and do with the scriptures. We try to defang them. We try to say, man, the context was so different there than it is now that we don't have to kind of live in accordance with what is commanded or the principle of this scripture. Uh, now, uh, first century uh, slavery, or in this case, servanthood, uh, the Greek word there is uh, oikates or uh, hoi oikotos, uh, is this idea of uh, a household servant. 
Now, that is different than what we think of as Americans in our century looking back at our history of slavery here in America. It is different. It's not racialized. Uh, This is not a slavery based on race where one man or woman or child is enslaved because of his or her race. And it pains me even to say that. Uh, The second is that it is different. This is uh, mostly uh, because it's not racialized. It's it's economic, uh, pretty much as how slavery functions in the first century here. And a household slave, which is what is, uh, who is being talked to here? Who is being talked to here? Uh, economic in the sense that someone has probably gone into debt and he or she uh, is, has placed themselves in slavery to pay off their debt to this now master. And when the debt is paid off, they, they will kind of retract or be out of uh, the servant-master relationship. Or it can also be militaristic in the first century Roman-Greek-Jewish context. Uh, Rome conquers another territory and makes their people slaves or servants. And, and these kinds of things could be occurring in this context in which Peter writes about two-thirds of the population were servants or slaves to masters. About two-thirds, a massive amount. Uh, slaves or servants in the household context were, were often educated, and this is not also generational. It's not handed down from generation to generation, uh, but it is still awful. It's still antithetical to the gospel. It's still uh, uh, diametrically opposed to the ways of Jesus. Jesus, who has made us all as image bearers of God of value never to be owned in any kind of way by someone else for any sort of time, even if it's not generational, for any sort of reason, never to have owner and the owned. So we can't wiggle out of this text because even household servitude is awful in God's eyes and unjust. And against everything that he is. So even in writing this, God is saying, I see you. We want to focus in on the servant-master relationship. Because if, if what is commanded is commanded even in this extreme of a circumstance, then certainly everywhere, right? If there, then certainly everywhere. And also what we'll see is in this command of obedience and righteousness, we see a really kinship with the Savior himself, a one-to-one kind of ratio connection of, man, that's a Jesus kind of thing. So first, uh, this is not commanded by God, by Peter, because slavery is so different, it's palatable, it may be even good in this context. No, 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 that's not why. The first main reason that God commands us, that Peter commands us, is that Peter's main concern is eternal. To live faithful lives to Christ with all of eternity in view. To live as Jesus lives now, bringing heaven to earth, the eternal things here, uh, with with, uh, the perishing in mind. 
Peter, God commands this because his chief concern is today into all of eternity. Uh, this section begins in chapter, uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, right? This, this whole section of these household codes, right? Of how to live as a Christian in every one of these areas. They're all asking this question as they lived as the elect exiles in this circumstance. Uh, verse 11 begins this new section, and Peter says, Beloved family, you whom I love, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. An eternal battle is going on, brothers and sisters. I urge you to live with eternity in mind. I urge you to live in a certain way. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Anyone who is not believing how the term is used there... Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Live in a way that your conduct is righteous and honorable and praiseworthy amongst those who don't yet know Christ. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When you live for Jesus in a Christ-like conduct, you'll do it before those who do not believe. And, and when you do it, they may see your good deeds so that when God comes back to judge, to destroy, to mend, to make all things new, they'll rejoice over His coming. They won't be crushed in His coming. Today they'll see the way you live and they'll begin to praise this God that you have. Living faithful to Christ amongst the perishing. And so Peter goes on, he says, uh, let's live these kinds of things out, uh, the eternal kinds of things, a Christ-likeness in uh, view of all eternity. Let's live it out everywhere we live. He takes us household codes. Uh, this is a, a Roman kind of thing, a Greek kind of thing. This is a Jewish kind of thing to say, hey, in every aspect. Now, it's unusual that uh, servants are even mentioned. Uh, uh, often in these codes, it's only uh, the uh, husband and wife and children that are mentioned. But, but here, everyone is brought in. And, and in it, uh, we see that God himself rules over the whole household. And we then subject ourselves to him. And therefore, that changes every one of our relationships. Our primary relationships, the foundational relationships for all of society, and even government itself. Every aspect of who we are, in a sense, uh, the, the prime ones and the foundational ones are mentioned here. He says, live this out in being subject uh, when it comes to government first. Verses 13 to 17. Be subject to God uh, when you are subject to your rulers. And, and then he goes into the household first with uh, servants and their masters. He says, be subject there as well. And then uh, he'll go on to the, the marriage relationship, husbands and wives. Uh, wives, be subject to your husbands and husbands. Treat your wives in such a, a contrasting way than the culture does. He kind of hits all these prime foundational relationships as if to say, everywhere you live, Everywhere you live, live faithfully to Christ, righteously to Christ, in front of those who are perishing. That when eternity comes, they might experience salvation, not condemnation. We are all 
slaves, servants to our master. Uh, there's this summary verse that every kind of the umbrella of our life is covered by that one relationship, us under him, in verse 16. Uh, this is in the uh, government section, and, and Peter states kind of in a summarily way, uh, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Uh, the word there is doulos. It's actually uh, a more restrictive term. It's a, a holistic of, of he owns every piece of me. I literally there am his slave, a benevolent, righteous, loving master he is. I know it in his son. So therefore, he has all of me when I live in a government relationship, when I live as a servant with a human master, when I live in my marriage, everywhere he's got me. See, Peter's chief concern here is that of eternity. Peter's chief concern here is living as a Christian no matter where you are, where I am. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians uh, has this kind of similar idea to it. Uh, Paul here is talking to all kinds of people in all kinds of places, and he, he lifts out this main idea there as well as Peter does in his letter to the elect exiles. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 and following, he says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Is anyone, now he'll kind of go through some different categories. Is anyone at the time of his calling or salvation already circumcised? Then don't seek to remove that mark. And is anyone not circumcised? Then he'll say, well, well, you don't need to get circumcised. He says, this or that, just live as a Jesus follower no matter where you are. And then he says in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 21, were you a bondservant, doulos? When called, do not uh, be concerned about it. I mean, that's mind-blowing. But then he says, but if you can't gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who has called you in the Lord is a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called. See what he's doing? He's saying, uh, what is of primary importance? Then he'll go and do it for married and single. What is primary of importance is no matter where you are, now, he says, uh, slaves or servants, if you can change your condition, do so. But no matter where you are, what is of primary, of chief concern is living for Jesus there. Serving your benevolent master there. And in a way that those around us who are perishing might come to know and worship him. Our Christian concern then, our primary chief Christian concern is otherworldly. I mean, it's otherworldly. This is not the stuff of our world. It's first and foremost Christ-likeness, the righteousness of Jesus, to live with and for, embraced by my Savior wherever I am. And second, it has eternal consequence those around me. That's what Peter is primarily saying here is he commands those who are living in the midst of injustice. That'll take your breath away. That is otherworldly. 
How could God command? How could Peter command this? Well, not because servitude is so drastically different in the context, but because first his chief main concern is living for our Savior no matter where we are and living in light of eternal consequences no matter where we are. The second is this. Peter, God can command this, does command this, because overthrow is embedded in the text and is explicit in the Bible. A changing, a transformation of systems, a new way to bring eternity to earth is embedded in this text and is explicit in the Bible. Now, it's not a frontal attack in this text, but it is a powerful attack. Uh, when Peter lays out these household codes and, and for servants and masters, uh, he embeds into them a new way of living, a new freedom with a greater power, a transformation of the servant as he or she relates to his or her master, and, and therefore a possible eternal transformation of the master, a changing of a mind and a heart that would radically transform the society. Embedded into the text is an overthrow of an unjust system, and it is certainly explicit in the scriptures at large. Uh, let's look at what a servant, a household servant, is commanded in this passage. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, when that uh, term all respect or all fear is mentioned, this is a, a kind of drawing fear or reverence. And it, it's not most likely in reference to the, the master, but in reference to God himself. We'll notice later in the passage that uh, the servant uh, is to be mindful of God. Now, all of us in whatever situation in life we find ourselves are to be drawn to our God in reverence and fear and respect to say, I'll serve you here. I trust you. I love you, even though I don't feel it or experience it right here, right now. In this or any circumstance. It's a new way of life, a freeing way of life, as verse 16 would say, where, where, where we live for our eternal God and King and Master who will take us graciously and benevolently into all of eternity and carry us now even in this as we go there into that. First he says, then with all respect to our God, not only to the good and gentle Master, but also to the unjust. Man, that is unbelievable. For this is a gracious thing, or from God, a commendable thing. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, as he looks at us sons and daughters in these moments. For what credit is it, and here Peter will say, if we just live normally like everyone else does, for what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it? Man, that makes me cringe. You endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you do good. When your master says, do this thing that does not honor your God, and you say, no, I will do good, and you are beaten for it. Man, God looks with commendation. 
When we live holy and righteous and kind and powerful lives and do good in every circumstance, when our boss says, uh, do this, and we know it is immoral, and we do that, and he says, you're fired. God says, that's, that's otherworldly kind of living right there. And embedded into this kind of living uh, where, where, where we live, live in such an otherworldly, Christ-like, with eternity in mind kind of way, we live with a different kind of power. I, I mean, I just got to say, have not our black and brown and person of color, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ live in this kind of power in a kind of way that has brought about a different kind of world here. And man, we have so far to go. This is the kind of stuff that transforms hearts and minds and all of eternity brings God's kind of kingdom here today. It's embedded into the text. It's a sideways way to get in. Peter says, live within these crazy household codes of servant and master, but come in sideways and powerfully with the new power of the gospel to transform it all. Can you imagine even in this scenario, the otherly world kind of living that's occurring right here, it's making the master in this scenario scratch his head. Uh, the, the section of these household colds will end like this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? God is with you, right? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to give the reason for the hope that is in you. When you and I and any live in this otherworldly kind of way, people will scratch their heads and say, that doesn't make sense. And ask, why do you live with such righteousness and hope in all of eternity? How can you live like that? And then we can share of our Savior and, and watch Him transform minds and hearts and laws and systems and everything. Peter is commanding the stuff of Selma here. Selma, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King leading thousands. The Civil Rights Act has been passed, but it's not being lived out in Alabama. Shocker. And Dr. Martin Luther King and thousands marched from Selma to Montgomery in the courthouse to change the rights of all men and women to vote. And LBJ says, this is going to be a bloodbath if you walk peacefully into this. And the nation watches, and I pray, continues that hearts and minds are transformed, changed. When people say, that's otherworldly kind of stuff.
It's the stuff of Gandhi. It's the stuff of Tank Man in Tiananmen Square as, as the Chinese government is leaving after a slaughter this next day and he stands peacefully in front of power. Dr. Martin Luther King, in one of his last sermons uh, to his own church, Ebenezer Church in Atlanta in 1967, about four months before he is murdered, he's preaching to his congregation, to the nation as well, and says, now let me say, secondly, that if we are to have peace in the world, men and nations must embrace the nonviolent affirmation that ends and the means must cohere. The ends and the means must cohere. One of the great philosophical debates in history has been over the whole question of means and ends. And there have always been those who have argued that the end justifies the means, that the means really aren't important. The important thing is to get to the end, you see. So if you're seeking to develop a just society, they say the important thing is to get there and the means are really unimportant. But we will never have peace in the world until men everywhere recognize that ends are not cut off from the means because the means represent the ideal in the making, the end of the process we're aiming for. And ultimately you can't reach good ends through evil means because the means represent the seed and the end represents the tree. Now, make no mistake, the, the scriptures are explicit uh, about the justice of God, and it's uh, knit into his very nature. He, he makes men and women in his image and says, nowhere injustice ought to reign. Nowhere shall one be over another in a subjugating kind of way, an oppressive kind of way. Nowhere, no system, no place, nowhere. From start to end, I mean, you read the Psalms, like, is dripping with justice and the mercy of God. And then in the end, we say, uh, every system is righted, every tear is dried, as all is made new and right the way that God has created it to be lived. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, we see uh, this command, stone anyone who kidnaps uh, another man or woman and sells him. Stone him. In Philemon, if you flip back a couple books here. You, you get to Hebrews, and right before Hebrews, you see this a little letter of Philemon. It's written by Paul to Philemon, and, and he's writing. He, he is, uh, has this servant, Onesimus, uh, who is Philemon's servant. And Paul is returning Onesimus to Philemon, and he says this in verse 8. Accordingly, Philemon, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. <laughs> Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. See, he's going to send Onesimus back, and he's going to say, receive him as a brother, not a slave, not a servant. He said, I could command you what is required, but instead I want to see your heart, your mind transformed, that we would start a, a massive movement of reconciliation where injustice would turn to justice. He says, I want you to live as though Christ has transformed your life too, Philemon says in verse 15, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, not just free, but family. Dr. Martin Luther King lived this kind of thing out. Might we all?
When we live this kind of way, we paint a powerfully contrasting, eternally impacting picture. When every one of us lives this kind of way, we paint a powerfully contrasting, eternally impacting kind of picture. I want you to see just 30 seconds of this video. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. This is Brant Jean talking to Amber Geiger who murdered his brother, Botham Jean. And I don't think anyone- Either by accident or not, we're not sure. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Mm. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. They say, but what about the injustice around it? Isn't that the point? Yeah, man, let's get after the injustice around the whole situation. We ought to. That, that is what God commands the church to always be about, bringing his kingdom here. But in that moment, we see an otherworldly kind of life. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. It's the last reason that Peter and God can command this, does command this, why he commands it. We walk in the pattern and embrace the person of Jesus. No matter where we are. We walk in the pattern of Jesus and are embraced by the person of Jesus no matter where we are. The passage continues, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
It's a stencil is the word. Uh, uh, the, when a child is learning to write his Greek alphabet or a Greek alphabet, they get these stencils, and that's that example, tracing the letters of Jesus, our Savior, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Walking in the very pattern of our Savior. Walking embraced by our Savior who has suffered. Into all of eternity. When He brings a foretaste of that day now through our new way of living and through our pursuit uh, corporately and continually and all the time for justice where injustice now reigns. But as He carries us into that day when He will make all things new. By his wounds we are healed. Man, there's that phrase, entrusting himself to him who judges justly, that justice will come as well. Justice will come as well. That is a great comfort to those who have suffered injustice. His justice will come either on Christ or on those who continue in their injustice. Christ in their place or on them. And Peter ends, we were straying like sheep, but have been returned to the shepherd and overseers of our souls. The one who has slaughtered like a sheep in our place. I do not know what you're walking through this morning. You to live for him fully in it and like him fully in it. I don't know what you're walking in this morning, but I know that the Lord wants you to live with eternity and eternal consequences in it. Your boss may have treated you so unjustly this weekend, and I know that pales in comparison to even what is being talked about here, but he or she is perishing without Christ. How will you live there? I don't know how your husband or your wife is, is walking with you or your kids are treating you, your, your neighbor or your co-worker is treating you, but, but I know the Lord is calling you to live like Christ right there in an eternally contrasting kind of way with all of eternity in mind. It's just what His Son has done for us, that He would embrace us in it today and walk with us and give us strength to live like Him in it today while He transforms all of eternity now through us and takes us into all of eternity where we'll dwell with Him forever. If you are in Christ, would you take and eat remembering what our Savior has done for you? And if you're not, would you embrace Him this morning? Would you embrace Him? He suffered in your place. Let's take and eat together.